Good morning. I want to begin this morning um, with something rather sobering, but I hope and my prayer is that it's helpful. I want everyone to identify a sin that you're currently struggling with, Um, particularly a sin that has maybe been a struggle for many months or even years, a sin that you just can't seem to shake, a sin that embarrasses you uh, to talk about with others. All right, do you have one? Now, I want you to imagine this scenario with this sin. You commit it, whatever it may be, and you're so mad at yourself. You're guilty, maybe rightly convicted. You're shamed. Things begin to fall apart around you and also fall apart in your own life. And so your response is to say, that's it. I'm never going to do that again. I'm done. And you pray. You maybe confess it to someone else and you ask for accountability And then God hears your prayer, and he sees your heart, and he believes, and he delivers you from the sin, and you have a time of peace and a time of freedom. However, you know where this is going. Months, weeks, or maybe even just a few days go by. The temptation arises, and what do you do? You forget. You make yourself the king of your own heart, the king of your own desires, and you fall. You fail, and you sin, and you're seemingly enslaved to it all over again. Now, this is not good news, I admit. This is not fun. This is probably not the way that you wanted this sermon to start this morning, but this is the book of Judges. This is one of the overall narrative plot lines we will see throughout the book. It's a cycle. But imagine this scenario, okay? Imagine a life where you're free. A life where sin is a reality, yes, because Jesus hasn't come back. But when you do sin, it doesn't begin a downward spiral. Or even better, imagine a life that when temptation arises, you laugh straight in the face of of the enemy, and you say, no, no. You point out the enemy's schemes and the enemy's lies, and you say, not today. Imagine a life where the cycle doesn't define you anymore. So how do we get there? What's a step that we can take? That's where we're gonna look at this morning. Disclaimer, I don't claim to have all the answers, but I want to invite us into the lifestyle that Jesus offers to all of us. So let's ask God to do that very thing. Um, Will you pray with me? Father, we love you, and I pray that by your spirit you would teach us. That over the next half hour or so, Lord, you would give us um, a spirit of presence that you would be among us and that we would uh, listen to you, to whatever you have for us, and that you would be glorified, you would be lifted high, and you would be honored. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. uh, Today we begin our six-week series on the book of Judges, so please turn with me to Judges. It is page 200 in your pew Bible. 
And in this series, we're not necessarily going to be verse or be going to uh, through the book verse by verse. Instead, this series will be more like a character study of some of the different judges throughout the book. All right, and so a quick background of the book as you turn there. The author is unknown, all right, but the events do take place after the death of Joshua, even though, real quick, um, in chapter two, the author will backtrack and include a summary story where he is still alive. But before Israel had a human king, all right, a group of judges ruled over them for a time. And when we see the word judge in this book's context, don't think courtroom, okay? Don't think Supreme Court justice. Think political military leader, all right? Think of an army general. Don't think Justice Brett Kavanaugh. Think General George Patton, okay? Um, Although there is a story with Deborah, uh, who acts more like a court judge than the others, but generally speaking, um, a military leader is more accurate. And as we will see, uh, these judges throughout the book, they're empowered by God's Spirit to do some pretty crazy and disturbing things. Um, And some of their actions are not necessarily an endorsement by God, okay? But instead, God using flawed people to accomplish his purposes. All right? So with that being said, Judges chapter 1, verse 1. Read with me. After the death of Joshua, the people of Israel inquired of the Lord, who shall go up first for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have given the land into his hand. All right, so from the beginning we read that Joshua, he has passed away. All right, Joshua Joshua had conquered much of the promised land, um, but there are still some Canaanites living in the promised land uh, still. So that's going to be a major problem throughout the book that we're going to see over the next few weeks. So skip down to verse 27 with me. Judges 1, verse 27. Listen to the beginning of these verses. Verse 27. Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants. And then the author lists some of those people. Verse 29. And Ephraim did not drive out the Canaanites. Verse 30, Zebulun did not drive out the inhabitants. Verse 31, Asher did not drive out the inhabitants. And verse 33, Naphtali did not drive out the inhabitants. Why is this such a big deal? Why does the author put this list in chapter 1 of Judges? The answer is Deuteronomy. All right, specifically Deuteronomy 7, 9, 12, and 20. I'm going to read Deuteronomy 7, verses 1 and 6. It'll also be on the screen. The author, the author says, When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it and clears away many nations before you, then you most, uh, must devote them to complete destruction. And verse 6. For you are a, a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. God called Israel to be a holy people, and that doesn't happen. They don't obey Deuteronomy chapter 7, and instead they they don't drive out and destroy the Canaanites completely, and they live among them. 
And so what happens? You know the story. Israel adopts the practices of these very pagan nations. And this begins the five-part cycle that we're going to see throughout this book. And so the first part of the cycle is sin. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. Chapter 2, verse 1. Now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgah to, to Bochum, and he said, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. What is this that you have done? Israel didn't obey God's command. Israel didn't listen to God's voice. Israel failed. Israel sinned. Verse 3. So now I say, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare to you. This is part two of the cycle. Oppression. Oppression. When Israel sins, God allows them to become oppressed by other nations. Think the Babylonian, Assyrian, Roman empires throughout time. Sin often leads to oppression. Verse 4, as soon as the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the people of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept. And they called the name of that place Bochum. And they sacrificed there to the Lord. Part three of the cycle is repentance. After Israel sins, they become oppressed by a foreign nation and they've had enough. They're done with it. So they call out to God and they cry out in repentance. Verse six. When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. Part four is deliverance. Deliverance. God responds to their cries of repentance after they're oppressed and he delivers his people. And lastly, verse seven. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. Lastly, these people experience peace after their deliverance. If you've read Judges, or you're at all introspective with your own heart and your own life, you know what happens next. The cycle begins again. I'm not going to read them, but you can mark them if you want. Verses 10 through 13, they sin. Verses 14 through 15, they become oppressed. And verses 18, capture the rest. They repent they're delivered, and they have peace. And then verse 19, it starts all over again. Sin leads to oppression, which hopefully leads to repentance, which leads to God delivering, and then them experiencing a time of peace. These first two chapters of Judges serve um, as an intro and kind of a summary for the entirety of the book. This is the cycle that we're going to see throughout the next five weeks. 
And so you may be asking, well, why does this matter? Okay, why are we in the Old Testament to begin with? Um, This narrative happened over 2,000 years ago, maybe 3,000 years ago. So who cares? As I thought about that the past couple weeks, it matters because it still happens in my own heart. And I'm guessing, if we're all honest, it happens in all of our hearts today. We have spiritual amnesia. We forget God's goodness and God's deliverance in our lives. We decide that we want to be the king of our own lives instead of living in the kingdom of God. We replay Genesis 3 over and over and over and over again. And this is exactly what Israel did. And later in the book, in Judges 17, 6, we read this. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And the very last verse of the entire book, chapter 21, verse 25, we read, in those days, there was no king. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. I remember... um, In eighth grade, one day, our history teacher was gone for the day, and there was a slight miscommunication with the sub. And we had history class first hour, so we were the first class to realize that, guess what? There was no sub. Um, Yeah. So you're in eighth grade. What do you do? Of course, we did nothing. Um, The responsible thing would have been to call the office or send someone up there, but instead, we just sat there. Unfortunately, not everyone was in agreement, though. Okay, you had the students that sat at the front of the class, you know who you are, with their notebooks open, their books open, ready to learn, pencils in hand, and they were pleading with the rest of the class, can we go please tell someone? You had the popular jocks all sitting together on one side, being loud, obnoxious, and annoying. You had the kids in the back who were just there to pass the class with their hoods up and passing substances that weren't allowed in the building. You had the introverted artists who were whispering and just trying to keep to themselves. Sorry for the stereotypes, but this was the reality. This is what it was like. There was no teacher. There was no one in charge. It was chaos after 50 minutes. And everyone did what was right in his or her eyes. The sad part about Israel is that they had a teacher, right? They had a king. Yahweh is their king. In 1 Samuel 8, God tells Samuel to give the people what they want, which is a human king. And that Israel hasn't rejected Samuel as their leader, but Israel had rejected God himself. It's a concession on God's part. He is their king. He is the one who brought them out of Egypt. But for Israel... That wasn't good enough. And I think our tendency is to read this and think, judges, yeah, we're right back there today, right? We live in a culture and a country where everyone is doing whatever they want. Redefining terms and ideas that have been true since the beginning of time. We live in a place where tolerance, loosely defined, is king, but yet control is queen. 
while some of that may be true, I want to just gently push back and ask all of us this morning to look in the mirror. To ask God to search deep inside of our own hearts. To not focus on the sawdust in someone else's eye. And for us to instead to notice the telephone pole in our eyes. You and I do what is right in our own eyes every single day. This morning, we sit in this very room and we think about certain people certain ways because of what he or she is wearing today. And then we become oppressed because we feel the need to maintain the very same image that we expect from others. Last night, maybe some of us had too much to drink to the point of giving control of our minds and our bodies to alcohol. And then we become oppressed because in order to loosen up or forget our current pain, we have to have more and more and more. We spend our money, most of our money, on things that we want instead of things that we need. And in return, we insulate ourselves from the outside world. And then we become oppressed because we we believe the lie that we can serve both God and money. We continue to look at those images and watch those videos thinking that they will satisfy us. And then we become oppressed because we become addicted and we are no longer satisfied by the goodness of God. We eat way too much too often, otherwise known as binge eating. And then we become oppressed. Because get this, it trains our brain to think that every basic desire we have should be met. We lie to others to maintain a false image that we have created for others to see. And then we become oppressed because it's exhausting to continue to keep that lie up, to maintain that image. We give in to anger and bitterness and we treat our loved ones behind closed doors in a way that would be embarrassing for others to see. And then we become oppressed because we begin to lose our closest and most intimate relationships in life. We control and we manipulate our coworkers so that we don't have to be put in situations that we don't enjoy. And then we become oppressed because the moment we don't get our way, worry and anxiety arises to the surface. We live in this cycle of sin, oppression, repentance, deliverance, peace. And while, yes, we're not oppressed by the Canaanites today, our sin leads to bondage. But please hear this next sentence. Please think about this this week and respond however you see fit. If you don't let God break your cycle, your cycle will break you.
If you don't let God break your cycle, your cycle will break you. Unless we truly repent, our sin will find us and our sin will destroy us. This is where we insert the good news. God the Father has initiated a way for this not to be our reality anymore. We will read story after story of these judges failing, of using violence to conquer, of killing others to get their way. But we know a man who was opposite of that. We know the true and perfect judge. We know the one and only king, amen? Many judges and kings have ruled their kingdoms in human history by killing. But our king ruled by being killed. By first washing the feet of 12 dirty men. By submitting to the father in a garden. By being arrested and tried unfairly. By being beaten without fighting back. By willingly going to the cross and laying down his life. Jesus, our judge, our king, is not corrupt. God the Son did not abuse his power and authority, but rather humbled himself in obedience to the Father. This is our judge, this is our king, and he has the power to break our cycle. So question, do you know him? I mean, do you really know him? Are you abiding in him? Are you following him? Are you letting him set the direction for your life? Or do you find yourself perpetually living in the cycle? You sin and you're oppressed or maybe depressed. You repent. You're delivered by God and enjoy a time of peace but then you go straight back to your old self and your old ways. You go straight back to the chief substitutes of this world like a dog returning to its vomit. Church, it doesn't have to be like that. There's hope, there's freedom, there's redemption, there's restoration, there's a second chance for all of us today. God has given us his spirit to lead us into life. Paul writes in Galatians 5, 16, He writes, but I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. And verse 19 he says, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And verse 25 in Galatians 5, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Paul says in Romans, the fruit 
of the flesh is death, but the fruit of the Spirit is life and peace. So what does it look like for us to take that first step towards freedom? For us to take that first step towards this life that Paul talks about in the Spirit? And there's probably many different answers, but I, but I honestly believe there's really only one way to start, and that is confession. Confession. John writes in 1 John, he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. This is key. We need to confess our sins to God. But God knows there's more in that process. So James writes in his letter in chapter five, he writes, therefore confess your sins to each other. And pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Yes, James is writing about healing, but I think this can be applied more broadly as well. Part of our confessing our sins to God is confessing our sins to one another. So what are you struggling with right now? What is the sin that you had identified 25 minutes ago? Confess it. Confess it today. The longer you put it off, the longer you push it down and suppress it, the longer that you lie about it to yourself and to others, the easier it becomes to walk in darkness. The easier it becomes to live in the flesh. Because if you don't let God break your cycle, your cycle will break you. Confess your sins to someone you trust and make a plan for what it looks like to walk in accountability, to walk in the light, to walk by the Spirit. Thankfully, I have a few different guys um, in my life who know a lot about me, who know what psychologists call my shadow side. And they know my deep struggles and I wouldn't be who I am today without, these, without this group of guys. Find someone who can be trusted and who loves you and can take the first step into freedom today. If you don't let God break your cycle, your cycle will break you. And as one Canadian pastor says, you'll never address what you don't confess. Let's pray. As we quiet um, our hearts and our minds, I invite you to ask God to reveal um, a sin, if he hasn't already, that needs to be confessed. And then ask God to identify someone who you can be honest with. Someone that you can confess that sin to, ideally even today.
And lastly, ask God to give you and that other person a way to be accountable and to begin to walk in the light and in the spirit and not live in your current cycle. Father, you are good. And Father, you created us and you said that it was very good. And two pages later, we we messed it all up. And we have chosen to rebel against you. And so, Father, I pray that by your spirit, you would teach us to confess and teach us to repent. Lord, don't let anyone leave this place today with unfinished business. Lord, I pray against emotional manipulation. And I ask that your your spirit would just empower us to be a people who walk in the light and who live by the spirit. So, Father, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. amen.